Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks and in today's podcast we're going to be looking at prints. Are they still relevant? It's changed a lot in recent years. So to answer these questions I'm talking to Vince Cater from Photospeed. They are a photo paper company and we had a good chat with Vince. He was saying how the print labs um, have, have largely closed but there's been an increase in sales although much smaller because obviously people are revisiting hard drives and they're finding prints that they want to print. So it's weird how even though some aspects are struggling, other aspects during this challenging time are working pretty well. I talked to Vince a little bit about how the industry's changed. Is there still a place for prints? And he also tells me a little bit how to make money from prints because I, I don't sell many prints myself due to the specialist nature of what I take. But he was telling me some tips on how to actually bump up that value of print. So this is Vince Cater and me. So thanks for joining me, Vince. Uh, you work for Photospeed. So firstly, who are Photospeed and, and what is it that you do there? So Photospeed is a, an inkjet paper supplies company, but actually it started off in 89. So originally it was a chemistry, darkroom chemistry and darkroom paper supplies company. Um, and we were, I guess, kind of moving along quite nicely. And then with the, uh, the explosion of digital in the late 90s, we, uh, we jumped on that ship and uh, started releasing our own digital inkjet papers, which is what we're mainly known for now. Uh, so I think we had about 10 papers at the time. We've now got around about 34 different inkjet papers, so a huge range of different inkjet papers. Um, but we're also, I guess, quite well known for our, our support with color management uh, and making sure we get the most from the papers yeah so because if you think well when a lot of people think about uh printing in general if you wind the clock back 20 or so years it was a necessity of photography if you wanted to see what your image looked like you, you had to print it out but you fast forward to now and i guess it's fair to say not as many photographers print their images so is is there still a place for prints in modern photography Oh, certainly. I, I, I guess I'll start with your, your first point. You had to print originally. So I was quite lucky that we had a darkroom at home. So I used to go out with my father, shoot film, come back home, develop the, the film, uh, and then see the magic of the image appearing in the, uh, in the developing tray, which obviously we don't have so much now. Um, it, the, there's kind of that instantaneous uh, need now because we're shooting digital. So we can go out and shoot the picture and we can see what it looks like straight away on the back of the camera. And you can even Wi-Fi it from your camera to your mobile phone and upload it on social media. So a big part of what it's about now is, is uh, social media, I guess, the, the need for likes and shares and uh, things like that. But there's certainly still a place for printing. I mean, if you, uh, if you hold a print in your hand, nothing beats it. There's that, that tactile nature to having a print in your hand, that wow factor. I mean, if you think about the, the native resolution of uh, an SLR camera now, it's, it could be as much as sort of 50 megapixel, or maybe more. I know the phase systems are up to 150 megapixel. So the native resolution is as big as an A0 print. It kind of, kind of seems unnecessary just to have it for a mobile phone or an iPad. Why not print it big? That's what it's meant for. What's the point in having a big resolution camera if you're not printing it? Yeah, it's kind of overkill in a way, isn't it? When most people are just going to upload it to Instagram or Twitter or whatever. It's, yes, it's quite disappointing, really. I mean, they're taking this incredible picture. They're showing it on Instagram for that instant gratification, likes and shares and comments. And then the picture's forgotten about. 
you hear it well right about now obviously of what's going on people are going back to those files and processing and realizing actually how many good pictures they had uh, that were completely forgotten about but uh, again when I say when people print it I think you can there's just so much more you get from a print than you do from a an LCD computer screen or a mobile phone you don't really have much control over a mobile phone they, they all look kind of different whereas a print you have control over that you've got that tangibility with a print as well like you can pick yeah. it up and there's more of a I guess it's kind of getting a bit arty now but more of a connection to it because you pick it up you see it and it's and it's yeah. the final product as well like if it's on the computer you can keep tweaking with it and you yeah. might be like well it's not quite done but when you've printed you've committed to that pr to that image that's it it's done you know you're happy with it hopefully you're happy with it but yeah, well, I don't think it's a photograph until it's printed. Uh, I know Charlie Waite talks a lot about this. So yeah, I like that quote. It, it, it isn't, is it, really? I mean, it, a photograph, it, it's something physical in your hand. And it, it, it's what it's all about for me. But, um, I mean, it is nice sharing it with people. And, and actually, social media does have a place, for obvious reasons, right about now. Um, it, it gets your work out there to a lot more people. It just looks so much better on the wall, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I learned in a dark room on, on black and white film uh, more years ago than I care to remember now, really. But but paper choice was so important for, for highlighting the qualities in certain images, you know, for gloss for rich colours, matte for contrast. And it's it's a shame that in a way people have, are, I don't know if forgetting is the, the right word, but they're just not using it as much as maybe they would have. And it is it is a shame, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the range of papers in the darkroom days were, I guess, fairly minimal. So you had your everyday sort of resin-coated oyster and gloss, and then you had the real nice, beautiful fibre-based papers where you get, the, like you said, the deep blacks, the real crispy deep blacks that you probably wouldn't get from an everyday resin-coated paper. And that's much the same with our inkjet range of papers. I mean, you've got your everyday papers, such as your lusters and your glosses, but when you're putting it on a, a fine art baryta-style paper or a fine art matte, paper you start to get more detail from the image you're getting deeper blacks brighter whites punchier colors then obviously you can look at textured finishes smooth finishes they all have their own place for certain kinds of images i mean you'll know that when we've sent prints to you um of your work it it, it really works getting it on a, a nice paper that suits that file so has digital in a way opened up more options with papers though because you were saying that with, with the old days it was relatively limited so are there more options now with papers yeah certainly because the process of coating uh, an inkjet paper is is actually taking in many cases a, a fine art paper so if you've you've heard of the the mills such as Hanamula, Canson, Somerset that they are traditionally art mills so they're producing artist papers for painters and artists uh, and and all, all we're doing is working with with a mill to uh, get the art paper and then an ink receiving layer is then put onto the paper which allows you to print straight onto an art paper so there's there's much more opportunities now with uh, inkjet papers as opposed to darkroom papers you, you, the range um, and options are, are endless really so is it fair to say that prints are more of a fine art thing now or like wh what where do they kind of fit in i guess I don't think so. I think it's accessible to everyone. I mean, you can obviously pick up a, a little A4 printer uh, and the quality is for colour printing is actually okay. But uh, I don't think it's until you get to an A3 plus type printer that you can, you're going to get the quality. Um, 
but I think it's accessible to everyone. So if you look at the quality of an iPhone now, you can get an you can get an A3 print from it. So I, think, I, I don't think it should stop people from printing it at all. Well, um, and that, that'll be sorry that that'll be pretty decent quality, will it? So you get a, an A3 print from from a little a little tiny iPhone will produce some. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, really? uh, the latest iPhone um, cameras that. 12 megapixel, uh, they're decent sensors now as well. I mean, I've produced A3 prints from them. There's a photographer, uh, Mark Littlejohn, actually. So as you're probably aware, the photography show was delayed. So we'd actually ran a whole series of uh, iPhone prints for Mark uh, and they look brilliant. They look really good. Um, and it's not until you start bringing it really close to your eye that y you see maybe areas breaking up slightly. We say, um, if you're looking at a piece of art, you shouldn't look at it any closer than the sort of the diagonal of the paper. So that should be the distance you look at it from. But that's never the case, is it? We're always going. Well, yeah, I suppose you'd hope most people aren't going to have the magnifying glass and kind of getting in there. But yeah, you, you're normally stood a, a metre or so away, aren't you? And you can appreciate it. A decent distance. Yeah. So yeah, you can print decent files from your iPhone. And again, even with an iPhone picture, the papers do make a difference. So picking the right paper for the image is crucial. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, when I, um, when I first started photography a few years ago, one of the best pieces of advice I was, was told was surround yourself with your successes. And it sounds a little bit narcissistic, but to put some of your best images on, on the wall because it just reminds you, I think all photographers go through, I call it the photography blues, but maybe where you just have a little lull in creativity or whatever. And I think sometimes just having those images on the wall, they just pick you up a little bit. It's not the same as looking at on, on your phone or on your screen. When, it, when it's yeah. physically there, you know, maybe four or five of your best pictures. Um, it, it doesn't have to be kind of all over the place, maybe just in your in the office or in your toilet, or I don't know, <laughs> somewhere in the house just to kind of pick yeah. you up. And I think it, it does help to see them out there, to see your pictures uh, in, in tangible, like, you know, be able to physically look at them and, and, and see them. But also as a printer, you can regularly change it yourself as well. So if, if it's your own work, like you say, you should have your own work up. Why not celebrate all that hard work you've gone to? It seems kind of a waste set on a hard drive. Um, so yeah, have your good work set around. But also when you make a print, um, I guess our emotions can affect how we process an image as well for printing purposes. So sometimes it's worth making a print, leaving it around the house and for a period of time, keep walking past it, make sure you're happy with it before you put it in the frame. But also um, having other people's work up as well. I think that's quite nice. It sort of inspires you at the same time. Yeah, I think a lot of photographers or certainly a lot of the photographers I've come into contact with can be a little bit hesitant to do that. I don't know whether it's because I don't know. I don't know why it is me because I'd never think to have another photographer on my wall. I've got art on my wall, got artists, <laughs> which I suppose I draw inspiration from. But I don't know why that is. It's not because I don't know. I don't. It's a weird thing, really. I can't really think why I wouldn't want someone else's images. Maybe if they if they were yeah. an inspiration. Okay. I've got, I've got books. I've got photography books which yeah. I look at. But but I yeah. see your point. I see what you're saying. It could be a community thing. I know on sort of Twitter and places like they have what's called a, a print swap. So obviously. Um, Every print has a different value, a perceived value, depending on the photographer, um, like an artist, really. Different prints can go for different values of money. I know of sort of A1 a, a one print selling for £10,000 at a time and, and others selling for 
100 pan at a time it just depends on your perceived value but a lot of photographers do what's called a print swap so rather than having to lay out x amount of money for a print uh, they'll swap one of their own prints for one of their f favorite photographers prints and they'll pick one each all being well they both like each other's prints um, yeah. <laughs> and then um, I put them on the wall no, that's a really, I've, not, I've not come across that, but that's a really nice idea, actually. I quite, quite like the idea of that. And it reminds me, um, I can't remember the name of the photographer, but it wasn't the most expensive print ever. Was it a sunset or something, like a blurry sunset, and it went, went for over a million, or it was about a million. Yeah. Is that Peter Lick? By any quite, quite possibly. You probably know, know better than me, but I, I seem to... Because it wasn't that long ago, was it? Was it a couple of years ago or something? Yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a whole story around it. I mean, I could be completely wrong. But the story that I hear is that um, he had someone buy it for him himself, so no money was actually exchanged hands. So it went for a million pounds. But it's it's a whole yeah interesting story about that. We're getting all the gossip now, Vince. That's really interesting too. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting to know that. That didn't come from me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Allegedly, allegedly. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's what the rumours are. But um, yeah, it's interesting perceived value, isn't it? Because. Um, again, I know of another photographer that had their work up in an exhibition sit setting and they were valuing him at, at, at one price. Someone else looked at them and said, no, I had a zero on the end. And their, their work was up with other photographers. And the one, all the prints that had the extra zero on the end were the bigger selling prints because people like the idea of laying out larger sums of money to tell their friends they've, they've bought that very expensive print. So, yeah, it is. I've always because I've I've never I do sell a few prints, but I don't I don't make a huge amount of money from prints myself. I guess that's because the nature of my work is quite specialist. Like, unless you're a very keen angler, you're probably yeah. not going to have a a roach. I mean, you might have a roach on your wall because I know you're quite a keen angler, but but most oh. other people um, probably wouldn't. But I've no, always that's true. That's true. but I've always struggled to know what to price it at because I look at there doesn't seem to be a system like you see some photographers and they'll sell their prints for. I don't know, a 10 by eight for a tenner and then someone else might sell it for 50 quid. And it's, it's difficult pricing stuff like that. I, I found personally. Okay. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you should never start too cheap. I think the problem is if you start your print at a very low value, it's, it's hard then to increase it, but there are ways of increasing your value. And that's, um, so things like limited edition runs. So a lot of photographers uh, we work with will release their print on a limited edition run. Uh, it could be it could be 15 it could be 50 it could be 150 but um, obviously the smaller the print run the higher the value and as they sell through when there's only a couple left of that print run the value increases sharply so again another print run that started off at 500 pounds and the last two were selling for 7000 pounds each wow so that's that's a good way of adding value to your print runs i think if it's an open open range uh, people don't expect to pay large sums of money for it. I mean, uh, so I've, heard, I've not, well, I know artists do that with prints, but I'd, I'd, well, I guess photographers are artists, arguably, but um, I'd never really thought of doing that. That's a really good point, actually. So maybe I'll, you know, five roach prints and just see how that, see how that goes. Yeah, I, th I think um, it's putting a story behind the print run as well, isn't it? It's putting it on the right paper. So if you're putting it on an art paper, it kind of adds value to it straight away as it's considered Giclay. So have you heard of the phrase Giclay? I've not, no, I've not come across that. So, so Giclay goes back to the sort of late, late 80s, early 90s. Um, a couple of photographers, uh, Jack Dugan, um, and a very well-known musician. Have you heard of the band 
Crosby, Stills and Nash? Or Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young? It rings a bell, but I couldn't name a song. Okay. Well, there's a well-known song called Our House. You, you, you have a little listen later, you'll know it. Okay. Um, so they were kind of a cappella. They were singers. Um, and they, they, they sang with Neil Young as well. You heard a Neil Young, I'm guessing. I know, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. That was another formation of them. Uh, so uh, Graham Nash is a keen photographer as well, a very keen photographer. And they wanted to devise a plan to add value to prints because it was called inkjet printing and it sounded quite quite boring really. There was no art art surrounding it. So they, they coined this phrase a giclet print, which meant it was it was archival uh, and on a, a paper that had at least twenty five percent cotton rag content, I think it was at the time. Um, but ironically, giclet just means little squirts. <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, it's, it's down to the small dots going down, things like that. But but gicle adds adds a value to your work. So if it's on a fine art paper, it's used pigment ink. Um, pigment ink is obviously archival ink. Then it will last and stand the test of time. So if you look at dye ink versus pigment ink, dye ink, if you were to print something on a, a cheap printer with dye ink and put a piece of paper over it and leave it in your car window, it will fade in as quickly as a couple of days. It will start fading. Whereas a pigment is a ground mineral suspended in liquid, it won't fade. It will just last at least our lifetime, uh, maybe a couple more. So that's really interesting. And, and I guess as well, um, if it is a limited edition, it, it kind of adds something to the buyer as well. It's not like, oh, there's a thousand of these out there. It's like, I've got one of, you know, five, 10, 50, whatever. Um, it, it's a bit more special, I suppose. Mm. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's the same as a, a piece, I, I guess an original piece of art uh, in terms of painting, we can't really replicate because that is a one-off and then it can be scanned and printed, limited edition runs from that. Whereas a photograph, I guess the, the original file is the raw file, if we're shooting raw, that is the piece of art, but there doesn't have, there's no value to the digital file necessarily. Whereas the, the print form when we're selling it seems to have the value. But it, I guess it then goes back to um, the requirement for the file. I mean, if you're uh, working for an agency in model photography and things like that, the digital file is is the value whereas if you're a landscape photographer and you're selling your work the print seems to have that value a little more so you see a lot of misinformation online about color management prints can you kind of clear the air a little bit about that i can certainly try i mean something we pride ourselves on is uh, the technical support uh, because there are a lot of people out there selling paper there's there's probably hundreds of different brands out there um, and we have a, a full tech support team that can support you through and hold your hand through the process. So we have something called uh, a custom profiling service. So if you go back to the old days of custom profiling, for a profile it will cost around about a thousand pounds. So a profile will tell, it's a huge amount of money. So a profile will tell the printer um, what colors to put down. And to get a profile made, we supply uh, like a coloured test chart to the photographer or the printer um, and they will print it out onto the different papers that they use. So the crucial part is with printing is that every single paper interprets information slightly differently. Every single printer interprets information slightly differently. Uh, and every monitor and computer interprets information slightly differently. So there's this whole battle in how to, to get it all seeing off the same hymn sheet. So the first part is the paper profiling. 
and you would print off this test chart uh, onto the different papers and you then send it to us at Photospeed and we use something called the spe a spectrophotometer, it's a bit of a mouthful, and the spectrophotometer will read every single coloured square on that test chart on, printed on the paper as a number and it will compare it up against what it should be producing and from that it will make a paper profile and that will tell the printer what to do effectively. I said every print is slightly different, even the same model will interpret information differently. That's why it's so crucial. Much like a camera, if you were to buy 10 of the same camera, they'll all, all take the information in very slightly differently. So there's a lot of variables then. So obviously so you want to... Yeah, so much variation. I mean, the monitors as well. So every monitor is slightly different, so you need to get, a, get it calibrated. So you've got everything working as it should. Yeah, I mean, I know when I've sent you guys prints, they've definitely come come back looking better than what I sent them to you, definitely. So you do, you're doing a good, you're doing something right. <laughs> so that, that might suggest your monitor's not quite right, not quite calibrated. That probably, sound, <laughs> probably sounds about right. Well, that, that's the excuse I'll use when I post something and the colours look a bit off anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look, Vince, it's been great talking to you. Fascinating to learn a little bit more about prints. So thanks for joining me. No, my absolute pleasure, Jack. Take care, yeah? Cheers, you too. So that was Vince Cater talking about prints. And that brings us nicely on to Nature Reserve of the Week. And this week, it's Loch Garten. It's a nature reserve located in the Cairngorms National Park, surrounded by ancient Caledonian forests. And it really is like taking a step back in time. You can just stand there and the smell of lichen and moss in the air and imagine a few hundred years ago wolves and bears prowling around. Now Abernethy is actually the second largest RSPB reserve which includes Loch Garten. There's a basic visitor centre there, you know, you can go in, there's a coffee machine and a few bits and bobs to buy, but there's no cafe or anything like that. There's a pretty big car park, you don't have to pay to go in the car park, and there's also a lot more like, as you come in which has another little car park you can go in there. There's lots of viewing points that you can go as you go around the loch and into the woodland. And there's also some toilets at the visitor centre. However, this is only open from April to September. So all these services are kind of shut off after that. So if you're there in the winter, you have to find a good looking tree. They have feeders set up near the centre, which regularly attract red squirrels and a whole host of woodland birds like tree creepers, great tits, greater spotted woodpecker, and some very, very friendly cold tits, which actually feed out your hand. It's one of the most magical things you can do when you're up in the highlands connecting with nature. Arguably though, the star attraction of this reserve is the Crested Tit, uh, which is one of the only places you can find them with any certainty around the Cairngorms National Park. It has a bit of a reputation for people putting sticks out on benches and things uh, like that. So if you see a Crested Tit sat on a clean backdrop with a lichen stick, it's almost certainly at Loch Garten. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you pretty much know where it was taken. Now in the 1950s, Osprey also return to breed at Loch Garten after dying out in Britain. And in the summer, you get a great chance of seeing them flying around the reserve and on the nest. And they even have a webcam uh, set up there as well. So if you're in the Cairngorms, Loch Garten is an absolute must. It can get quite busy, even in the winter it gets busy with photographers, but that shouldn't put you off to, to go and see that. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I personally say I don't sell that many prints, but it's always nice when one does go out. And I agree with Vince that there is still a place in printing uh, in photography. So why not print some of your prints out? Have a good look, uh, try and get a new feel for them. Particularly if you've never printed a print before, it does open up a whole new world to do that. So until the next podcast, I'll catch you next time. 
Thanks for listening. Cheers.